0: Isaiah, chapter 53, actually you can find your way to chapter 52, verse 13, that's where we're going to begin. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for the cross that beckons us, and Lord, we pray tonight that it would beckon us in a big way, that it would call us, that it would draw us, Lord, to to see you this evening in this incredible passage. We pray, Father, that you would be glorified tonight. We pray, Father, that we would see Jesus tonight here in this place. I pray that you would right now overlook my inadequacies, God, as a teacher and that you would speak tonight, that you would communicate, Lord, your heart in this time that we would spend together. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin reading in verse 13 of 52. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. And so he shall sprinkle many nations, and kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see, and what they had not heard, they shall consider. Chapter 53. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness when we see Him, and there is no beauty that we should desire Him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised and we did not esteem Him. And surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's go ahead and pause there for right now. We are looking at this passage of Scripture that has been called the Mount Everest of the Old Testament because it gives us incredible views of Christ, incredible views of the cross. And Isaiah chapter 53 is alluded to and, and made reference referenced some 40 times in the New Testament. It is a incredible passage and we've been taking our time going through it allowing ourselves to be moved by the views that we have been looking at in the first stanza it's a a song really made up of five stanzas in the first stanza chapter 52 verses 13 through 15 we saw there the servant exalted We saw his death, his resurrection, and his second coming laid out for us in those verses. Last time we looked at the second stanza, chapter 53, verses 1 through 3, where we saw the the servant humbled. That he rose up as a tender plant. And we talked at great length about that. And tonight as we come to the third stanza of this passage, we notice right away that it gets very personal. We are inserted into the message here. When he says that surely he has borne our griefs. And he has carried our sorrows. And he mentions our transgressions and our iniquities. He speaks of the chastisement for our peace and that by his stripes we are healed. He mentions that all we like sheep have gone astray, that we've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We are inserted here in these verses, into this song, in, into this message. But in the midst of all of that, he also wants, it to, wants to make sure that we see Jesus, that we see him very loud and clear. And so he, he says there, surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our sorrows that he was stricken and he was afflicted and he was wounded and he was bruised and our chastisement was upon him and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I want you to note this, that in order for the Lord to put us and Jesus in the same stanza of the message, he must include words like smitten, afflicted, sorrowful and wounded. This stanza breaks down in this way. Verse 4 tells us of the reality of these things. Verse 5 tells us the reason for these things. And verse 6 tells us the result of these things. And we want to look at it in that way this evening. First of all, the reality of these things. Verse 4, surely He has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. The words born and carried are interesting words. This speaks of to bear something for someone. It it means to lift it off of that person and to place it on another. It's speaking of the vicarious placement of all the ramification of sin. It reminds us of what we read about in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus. When the worshiper would come to the, to the tabernacle to worship, that the priest would, would have the worshiper take his hand and place it on the head of that lamb. And it was symbolically speaking of, of two things. One, a, a transfer. That all of the sin of the worshiper was being transferred to the, the, the lamb. And it also spoke of of identification, the fact that the worshiper was identifying that 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 was what was taking place, that all of his sin was being transferred to an innocent victim. It reminds us of what, what happened when they would take the scapegoat after the sacrifice was given on the Day of Atonement. They would also take a scapegoat and they would send him out into the wilderness. And it was the idea that he was carrying the sins of the people away. It reminds us of that. But when it says that He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, it it, it goes deeper. The word griefs speaks of our sickness, the bodily pains, our weaknesses. The word sorrow speaks of the pains of the mind. It speaks of, of the emotional stress that we can go through. And the image is that he's loaded up. All of that is loaded up. All of our griefs, all of our sickness, our bodily pains, our weaknesses, all of our sorrows, our pains, our emotional stress, all of the ramifications of sin, all of the, the sickness and the pain and the, the sorrow that comes with it is loaded up upon him and it carried on his back so that we wouldn't have to carry that. And it's hard to fathom when we think about that he felt it all, that he carried the physical and the emotional pain of the ramifications of sin. I ask you tonight, how many people carry around pain and griefs and sorrows that Jesus carried for them? And maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and, and, and you're carrying great emotional pain and stress. Maybe you're carrying tonight great sorrow tonight. Know this, He took them from us. But it doesn't do any good unless we release them to him. And the next time that life's problems seem to overwhelm you, remember the advice of our brother Peter who said in 1 Peter 5, 7, I'm reading from the Phil's translation, throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him for you are his personal concern. He loves you. He's concerned about you. He knows the number of hairs that are on your head. And that's getting easier to count for some of us as we get older. But but he knows. His concern, his personal concern for you is deep. He went to the cross because he loved you and he loved me so much. But notice how it continues in verse 4. It says, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. It's saying that when they looked at him on the cross, they thought he was there because of something that he did. And that was the typical thought of the Jewish mind in that day. They linked sin and suffering together. That the two went together. Remember Job's friends? Job's going through all this turmoil, and what was their counsel as they came to him? Job, what have you done? Man, you must have sinned and sinned big for all this. Come on, you got to confess it, bro. Come on, what have you done? Remember the disciples in, in John chapter 9, verse 2? The disciples asked Jesus concerning a blind man that they encountered. They said, Lord, whose sin was it? Was it this man's sin? Somehow in the womb that he sinned, or was it his parents' sin that caused him to be born blind? That was their thinking. That was the way that they thought that that sin and suffering went hand in hand. And, And so when they looked at Christ, the general consensus as they looked at him on the cross was he must have done something really bad. They saw the suffering of Jesus, but they didn't understand the reason why. Verse 5, we are told the reason. It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The word wounded means to wound fatally, to bore through actually, or to pierce. Now think about that. What an appropriate word to describe the one whose hands and feet and side were pierced on the cross. He was wounded. He was bore through. He was pierced is what Isaiah is writing. David prophesied in Psalm 22, verse 16, for dogs have compassed me and the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and and my feet. Now this is an amazing, amazing thing. Because this passage and the passage in Psalm 22 tell us that the Messiah would not die until there was a government in place that exercised crucifixion. But this passage in Isaiah was written 700 years before Christ was born. And 300 years before crucifixion was even invented, it was invented in 400 BC by the Persians and later perfected by the Romans. But it's written 700 years before Christ would be crucified, the exact way that he would die, that he would be pierced. It speaks to us of the accuracy and the trustworthiness of the Bible. God predicting, God laying out then showing, speaking to the prophet Isaiah, this is how my son's going to die. This is how it's going to happen. He's going to be pierced in his hands and in his feet, David would say. Wounded, it says, for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. That word bruised means to be crushed or to be shattered. And the word seems to speak of both the inward and the outward pain, both the mental anguish and the physical pain that Jesus would endure upon the cross. And this seems to be something that the Lord really, really wants us to understand, that He really, really wants us to grab a hold of. That, that Isaiah, as he's, as he's laying out this scene, as he's laying out this, this message, this song, is one of the things that in it God really, really wants to grab a hold of our hearts is that we can just get a, a little bit of a glimpse of it, is the emotional aspect of the cross. And you know, we watch a, a, a movie like The Passion. And I encourage you, if you, if you have it, if you, can, if you can, you know, between now and Friday, try to watch it. It's moving and it does a great job of, of allowing us to see the physical side, even though it, it's not close, it's not even very close to the actual thing that we're reading about here. And I told you, I think it was last week or the week before that, that Mill Gibson said, you know, if we, if we made it as accurate as the word, no one would have been able to tolerate it. No one would have been able to watch it. But it does a good job of allowing us to, to catch the, the physical side of it. The, the physical, the beating, the brutality that, that was going on there. But it doesn't do a whole lot for us in allowing us to, to see what was going on in here. The emotional side of this, both the, the mental and emotional anguish that was going on. And God wants us to catch that, because that was deeper. That was deeper than the physical. It started the night before in the garden. Jesus praying, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will be done, but yours, Lord. Your will be done. And it says that, that his anguish, the intensity of the moment of what he was going through as he, as he thought about that cup that he was going to drink, that, that it, he sweat as it were, drops of blood. It was that heavy of a time. We're told that when Jesus was finally on the cross and He breathed His last. And He gave up His spirit. And the Roman soldiers were coming by to break the legs of of the men there on the cross to speed up the process. And they came to Jesus and found that He was already dead and they didn't break His legs to fulfill another prophecy that was prophesied that not a bone of His would be broken. But just to make sure that soldier thrust the spear up through his side piercing his heart and that mixture of blood and water came out and scientists have told us that 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 mixture isn't that common and it's the, it's the sign of a ruptured heart Ruptured heart at the pain, at the weight of what he was to endure, it broke his heart. And he endured that. And know this, because he endured that, he can handle anything that you and I might throw at him tonight. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The word transgression speaks of willful disobedience, of a trespass. You know the signs? No trespassing. Don't enter. And then you decide to, to do it anyway. Because it's a shortcut on the way home to cross through that field, you know. You, you might have done that when you were a kid growing up. I did that. Oh, no big deal. No one's gonna find out, you know, kind of thing, but it's that that trespassing. Breaking a known rule, crossing a known barrier. And there's something in us that just is drawn to trespass. You see the sign that says wet paint, and right away you want to touch it, right? It's like you want to, you want to know just how, how wet is it. Mom tells you, okay, stay out of the cookie jar. And all you can think about after that is the cookie jar. It's like, oh, I just got to have a cookie, you know? And, and, and if you can get a cookie without getting caught, it's like, yes, I did it, you know, kind of thing. There's something in us that is just drawn towards that. There's something in us that just has moved towards that. That's the transgressions. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. Iniquities speaks of being twisted, It speaks of our perversity. Think about that. All of the perversity of man was put on Jesus. Every sick sin committed. That's heavy to think about. That's the the weight that He endured that that was pressed upon Him. And verse 5 continues, The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. That word chastisement means the discipline, the chastening, the correction. Our sins brought us into a state of war with God. And the thing that was required to make peace The chastisement for our sins was put upon Jesus. Think about this. When the sin of the world was placed upon Jesus, what did he do? He cries out, My God! My God, why have you forsaken me? And how does God the Father answer? He answers with wrath. That's how he answers the full weight of the punishment of the chastisement upon his son. I was thinking about Elijah and his meeting with the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Remember all day, you know, the 450 prophets of Baal, they're they're chanting and yelling and they're doing their whole thing, you know, trying to get Baal to call down fire from heaven. And finally, when they're all done cutting themselves and, and, you know, doing all that and Elijah's taunting them, you know, maybe your God's on vacation, yell a little louder. And, you know, all of that finally... You read there in the story where Elijah takes the, the, the sacrifice and he puts it on the altar and he pours water and over the, the, the altar and it fills up the trench that was surrounding the, the altar. And, and that sacrifice, like every sacrifice, it, it was a picture, it prefigured Jesus, the final sacrifice that would come. And the people were in sin. The people had had turned their back on God. And the whole point of the demonstration was, God, show yourself. If Baal be God, we'll follow him. But if Jehovah be God, we'll follow him. God, show yourself. And and we're told there that God comes down at that moment and he hits this sacrifice that that is a picture. It prefigures. It's symbolic of Jesus. And the whole sacrifice, the whole altar and all the water in it was consumed completely the trench was dried up and the altar and the sacrifice consumed as god came down and it was a picture of saying this is what my wrath is going to be like as i consume my son for you it's heavy when we think about it the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed Now think about this, not only did Isaiah prophesy that he would be crucified, but he also prophesied that he would be scourged, that he would be whipped. And as the blood flowed from those stripes, healing was flowing forth. And I personally believe that that healing is both in the context of both physical healing and spiritual healing. Spiritual healing from sin... And that is always, he always does that when the sinner comes and calls upon the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse him of his sin. That blood continues to flow. One of the things that's really interesting about the fact that not a a bone of his was broken is that that blood is produced in the bone marrow of the body. And so it's almost as if that, that prophecy is also communicating to us that there's always a perpetual flow of the blood available for our sins. And when the sinner comes and he calls upon the, the Lord, always the blood of Jesus Christ is there to cleanse. But it also speaks, I believe, of healing from our physical and emotional pain, which he also always does. Now what? What are you saying there? He always heals physical and emotional. we we'll understand. We may not experience it here. But listen, you're going to be healed of your physical infirmity. It'll happen. It might be on the other side of eternity, but it is going to happen. I've got this fake hip, and I prayed a lot that God would heal me. Asked Him to heal me. I wanted to be healed. You know, I wanted to be able to play basketball again and, and, and do the things that I used to be able to, to do and not have you know, the pain. And, and he didn't heal me. And I had an operation. And it, it, it's made things a lot better, but I'm still not healed. I can't really go out and play any real kind of you know, basketball. But one day I'll be healed. One day I'll be playing basketball in heaven, you know, if they've such a thing. Or maybe in the the, the new kingdom, the millennium, you know, um, there'll be a lot of empty gyms around, you know, so I'm sure we'll be having some pickup games or something, you know. We're going to definitely be healed. His stripes were healed. His stripes remind us, though, to ask. James says, if anyone is sick among you, let him call for the elders That they might anoint him with oil and and lay hands on him and pray that he might be made whole. And we do that because by his stripes we are healed. Verse 6 tells us the result of these things. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of Now, Isaiah now uses the image of the wandering sheep as an illustration of sin. And throughout the last two stanzas, the prophet has spoken in the first person plural, our sins. But just in case someone started to think, well, that really doesn't apply to me. Here in verse 6, he gets very, very specific when he says, all of us have gone astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. And just in case someone was uh, tempted to think that, hey, that that little wandering isn't that big of a deal, it's kind of accidental. Sheep wander, little kids wander, boys will be boys. He clarifies it again when he says that we have turned everyone to his own way. What he's saying is this all of us are guilty of a willful departure. Frank Sinatra made a song popular years ago. It went, I did it, how'd it go? My way. Let me hear you sing it now. <laughs> I did it my way. You know, when you, when you hear that, it sounds like something, you know, admirable, It sounds like like something that you ought to emulate, you know, as he sings that song, the old crooner, you know, and he's singing that song, I did it my way, and it's like, yeah, and how proud we feel that we did it our way, but when we turn to the record of Scripture, you find that that's the problem, not the solution, the problem is when we, did it, when we do it our way, that was the indictment that God made against Israel in the book of Judges when he says that every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's the problem that we have today. That's the problem for the, 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 what we see in, in life and in society. It's the problem so often for what we see in churches, everyone doing things their way. And so we have a race that is in constant conflict, forever striving with one another, unable to work anything out because we did it our way and not his way. That's the problem. Paul describes the breath of sin in Romans chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, when he says, There is none who seeks God. All have turned aside. Doing it our way. I don't need God. I'll just do it my way. I know better. I know what I'm doing. And this really is the the real essence of sin. It's the rejection of the Lord and the worship of something else. It's idolatry. And, And so often at the heart of it, it's the idolatry or it's the worship of self. It's the worship of self. I did it my way. That's our main problem. Even now. You know, we read here, all we like sheep have gone astray, and we realize it's speaking in the context of of before Christ, in our sin, before salvation, but even after we've, we've given our life to the Lord, oftentimes we can find ourselves, can't we, wandering, going astray from the Good Shepherd. And thinking to ourselves, you know, I got this one figured out. And a lot of times it's, it's subtle. A lot of times, you know, we find ourselves just kind of, you know, losing sight of devotions, losing sight of, of that time to spend with the Lord and, and, and losing sight of that daily just really picking up our cross and surrendering ourselves to But we do it even now. And praise God, He loves us so much that He's that shepherd that He pursues and He goes after us in those times notice what Isaiah tells us. When we were doing our own thing, when we were enemies of God, when we were worshiping self, when we were pursuing my way, he says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is God's bailout plan right here. This is God's bailout plan. Here, as it were, God balances the books of the world with two debit entries and one credit entry. The debit entries, all we like sheep have gone astray. There is the whole fallen human race presented in that verse. We have turned everyone to his own way. There's the two debit entries followed by the credit entry that clears it all on the books. If men would receive it, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The way to hold the redemption of Jesus is to admit that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. It's to admit I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I need that. One Christian put his testimony in this way, using this verse. He says, I stooped down low and went in at the first stall, and I stood up straight and came out at the last all. I like that. I stooped down low and went in at the first all, and I stood up straight and came out at the last all. The first is the acknowledgement of our deep need. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The second shows fully that the need has been met by the cross of Christ. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And literally, it says the Lord caused our iniquity to meet him. To meet him. He met up with it. Now think about this. If we met our own iniquity, we would be devastated by the encounter. We'd be blown away. If we met up with our iniquity, if we met up with our twistedness, and we really were able to, to see it, you know, your whole life just brought before you, and every single twisted, perverted aspect of it, it, would just, it, would, it would, we'd be blown away by the encounter. we don't have to meet up with it because the suffering servant met up with it it's the meeting that we have dreaded our whole lives but jesus went to the meeting place for us praise god he went to the meeting place for us so that now we can go to a different meeting place where we can come before God and He opens up His arms and He receives us. But here's the thing that we need to remember tonight, that Calvary is not the end of the story because He wrote. And the resurrection is what makes what happened on Calvary mean something. As Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, that if Christ had not risen, then our faith is in vain, that our hope is in vain, that we should be pitied. But He did rise. He did beat death. And therefore, we have hope. Therefore, our faith is, means something. The suffering Savior gone to the cross for us. And I ask you tonight as we partake of communion once again, what are you carrying tonight? I know some of you, you've walked in here tonight and you've been carrying burden. You've been carrying sin that that needs to be confessed. Confessed needs to be brought before the Lord and and the enemy's been you know tweaking your mind and your heart and thinking that you can't confess that and you can't get real with that and God's not going to forgive you and that's a lie from the pit of hell Jesus bore it man he carried it he took care of it and he says confess it confess your sin say call it what it is Come in before the first all and go out at the second all. Some of you carrying tonight just emotional weight and and, and you've just been trying to to hold some things together and the Lord would say, hey, cast your cares upon me because I care about you. But also tonight, I believe there's some of you here tonight that are in the midst of some physical suffering. And the Lord would want to remind you tonight, by His stripes, we're healed. As we enter into this time of of communion tonight, some of our pastors and some of our our prayer team people are going to be up front. I encourage you to come up and get with them if you need some prayer if you need to dump a load, if you you need to just cast some cares and and, and and you want them to pray for you, but also tonight, if you want to be anointed with oil and and have them lay hands on you and pray for you that that God would touch you and heal you, and we know He does that because Jesus is alive, He's risen. So we can come and ask Him tonight, Lord, touch me, heal me. And if he doesn't heal you, he says, keep on asking. And if he doesn't heal you, you know, like Paul said, what God showed me in my, in my suffering, he didn't take it away, but he showed me that his grace is sufficient, his power is made perfect in, in my weakness. And he does that. But he invites us to ask, he invites us to come. So let's do that tonight. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to come and bear our sorrows, to carry our burdens. We thank you, Lord, tonight, and we, we stand in awe tonight as we consider the incredible emotional magnitude of what Jesus went through us to set us free to give us life that he met our iniquity head on so that we wouldn't have to and tonight we want to rejoice in our suffering Savior we want to rejoice tonight in what you went through for us. And Lord, we also want to apply that tonight as we come and we give you those burdens that we've been carrying. And Lord, tonight we come and we ask for a healing touch. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Be glorified in the rest of this time this evening. In Jesus' name, Amen.